Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Playing Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bears. People in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of CANA, the Native American programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our indigenous communities from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Jenna Schmieding. Jenna is a Minnekanju Lakota. She is a writer, a performer, living and working in Los Angeles. Drawing from her experiences as a Native woman and feminist, Jenna uses her creative work and advocacy to move the needle on Native representation in media and entertainment. She performs regularly in LA and hosts a podcast called Women of Size, where brilliant people discuss their experiences with body-based discrimination. Currently, Jenna is a writer on the first Native sitcom on network TV, Rutherford Falls, starring Ed Helms, and is an avid bead artist. I actually follow Jenna on social media, and I've been in love with her bead work for quite a while now, and she does really great work, uh, So, but uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. So with that being said, let's jump into this interview with Jenna Schmini. So Jenna, thank you so much for joining us on Five Plane Questions. It's, it's an honor, and I'm very excited to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I hope my um, the sound of me chomping on my eggs doesn't um, interrupt this lovely interview. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to add to the experience. Would you be able to tell us about, um, uh, well, first off, would you be able to introduce yourself, tell us about your background, where you're from? Yes. My name is Jana Schmieding. I am uh, Minakanju and Tichangu Lakota. I'm enrolled in the Cheyenne River Lakota Sioux Tribe, and I grew up off my tribal homelands in um, the Willamette Valley, Oregon, um, in a small town called Canby, which is about 20 miles south of Portland. Um, And yeah, I lived in Canby. I went to the University of Oregon when I graduated from high school. And from there, I moved to New York City for 11 years. And I was a teacher in the Bronx and then a comedian by night. And in 2016, I moved to Los Angeles from New York to, to try to be a TV writer. In, in New York, uh, what, what did you teach? What was, your, uh, what was your focus there? I taught humanities and literacy, and I worked with um, primarily um, students with IEPs, so students with disabilities, students with uh, learning disabilities, and social-emotional um, disabilities as well. Oh, wow, wow. Um, and when you had moved to Los Angeles, um, you actually had a, a podcast as well. I did. Yes, I, I, it still exists somewhere in the um, in the podcast world. You can find it. It's called Woman of Size. And it was a podcast. It was sort of like a project, a creative project that I wanted to engage with um, to learn about myself and learn about the world through the lens of um, understanding sort of uh, weight stigma and um, the concept of like body positivity. But really what it came down to was um, learning about and discovering sort of size-based injustice in our culture and um, eating disorder injustice and food sovereignty and all of the different intersections that go into, you know, our bodies and wellness and, and how we are um, 
told to feel about our bodies versus how we actually do. <laughs> those were, um, those were beautiful conversations. And uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to that podcast for our listeners to find. So yeah, great. Yeah, I think it's something that we as Native people don't um, have a lot of access to those kinds of discussions and those kinds of resources that help us. And of course, I'm sure that, um, you know, most marginalized groups don't have access to eating disorder treatment. It's like pretty, uh, pretty selective group of like thin white women and, and men ish who have access to, um, that kind of healing. Um, but I really think that traditionally we have a lot to say about that and that we have so many different intersections that work um, in our favor when it comes to sort of sovereignty and sovereignty over our bodies and sovereignty over our food and um, sort of reclaiming our ourselves in this culture. They're great conversations and they're really funny too. Uh, it's, it's, it's really <laughs> worth listening to. Um, I really enjoyed it. So, and I'm, I'm in the middle of it right now, so I'm going to keep on listening. So uh, you have, oh, a, good. you have a follower here uh, for the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Would you be able to talk uh, about your, your influences, your biggest influences uh, growing up and currently right now? Gosh. Yeah. Um, I have so many. I think a lot of the big influences that I had growing up were my family. So um, one of my biggest like comedy influences is my aunt. Well, her name is Marita, but um, we her name for us is Fifi, my aunt Fifi. Um, and my, all of my aunties, like I just grew up in a very powerful matriarchal family and um you know none of us were perfect but um everyone sort of embraced that and i i really feel like um the the aunties in my family like found a powerful way to find joy and laughter in challenging times. Um, and I, I, I found that to be true for a lot of the native people that I was around growing up. Um, I mean, my comedy influences like more widely, God, I, I, I have so many, there's like my early days of like Chris Farley on SNL. Like I was a huge fan rest in peace, Chris Farley. I miss him so much. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I also like, God, now it's just like the, it's really hard to name influences, um, now because I feel like we are so flooded with media. There's like so much and so many p things happening and, and for the large part during my comedy career, um, there weren't a lot of people that I could look up to and, or had access to that I could like talk about, how do I do this? Like, how do I get to the place that I want to go in this career? And how did you do it? Like, I didn't really have access to the Amy Polars or the Tina Fey's, you know, and, and so 
um, so I really like look to my left and to my right. And that's where a lot of my moves have happened in my career. Like I've, I've been lifted up and supported and introduced to other people by other women of color in comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I'm inspired by my peers. I'm inspired by other women who are sort of paving their own paths. And, um, and a lot of the trans folks in our comedy community I see especially right now like I'm I'm looking at my friends you know uh River Butcher and Nori Reed are two names that I I just like follow their work so closely and I'm so proud to be sort of in a comedy cohort with them and um I see their struggles and I see their triumphs and uh, it's just really inspiring and it helps me to remind myself that um, in like the story of comedy, like identity is quite important and being able to express your identity in your comedy is like so powerful um, and it's powerful for other people to see, you know? So, yeah. I, I find uh, comedians to um, be extremely uh courageous and brave to be able to talk about um topics uh, on an open stage I mean, obviously um you know there's a, a set for you know there's um it's a performance in a sense you know a comedy is a performance but to be able to talk about those things and of course um someone uh like yeah it's just um i always i always find such courage and to be able to to address issues like that out there yeah it's interesting i i like um I don't think performing is for everyone, you know, it's like something that most people aren't interested in engaging with. And I totally understand that. Um, I think that like public speaking is, is like, um, there's more like the rate, the fear, there's like a chart somewhere. And in America, I think the number one fear that people have is of public speaking and it's a higher rate than fear of death. <laughs> so people are more afraid of public speaking than they are of dying. And I understand that fear. <laughs> it's terrifying, but it's also thrilling, you know, and, and I get like a really big um like serotonin release when oh, I yeah. perform. And you know, especially because it's a practice, you know, it's something that it's a creative practice. And I really believe in um I believe in growth like as a person I believe that if you if you work at something you will get better and for me comedy has always been a learning process I don't think it ever won't be and I mean I was doing comedy here in New York for um 11 years and I started doing comedy in college and and so and you know formally but like it is a creative practice. It's something that people engage with, I think, to get better. Yeah. Just like um, basketball or, you know, painting or something, you know, you're just always doing it. And, uh, and that's why I don't have that, you know, fear of death (laughs) problem (laughs) anymore. Um, Because the more you do it, the easier it gets. Well, they say that the New York audience is one of the toughest audiences out there. (laughs) Really? Oh, I, 
I had much tougher audiences when I was doing children's theater for kindergartners. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) (laughs) those kids, man, you better work your butt off to get their attention and hold their attention. Oh my God. They will freak out if they're not happy. I guess if your audience is starting to throw a tantrum on your set, uh, you've, you've, yeah. probably, yeah. <laughs> you've come up short. Yeah. You uh, learn so, quickly how to perform in front of an audience of children. <laughs> well, that's funny. Uh, well, let's, let's talk about um, your career, how, how that's developed uh, in college and post-college. Well, in college, I... Um, I had a really wonderful professor. His name was, I had two professors really, both um, gay men actually. And um, my, so uh, Jack Watson was one of my professors at University of Oregon. He has since passed. Um, May he rest in peace. He is, he was um, a man who sort of, he founded a program in our university at our college in in the theater department where he took a group of students every other year to study theater in London. And so I was on in that program. And so I did essentially like we went to London and we studied theater for, uh, you know, half the year. And Um, we saw five plays a night and, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, in terms of Western theater, um, London is like the Mecca. It's, you know, there is like the Broadway of London called the West End, but there's also tons of independent theater, fringe theater, they call it there. And like, there's like theater at every level. There's just, just constant shows and they're so brilliant and unique and they and they treat their acting um discipline like a real discipline you know people are training for years and years and and um i think it's it's supported more culturally the art of performing um over there anyway i got to study there i got to study shakespeare um this other professor, John Schmore, who I'm still, I still am connected with. Um, he saw in me in college something that I think other adults didn't really see. Um, and he is the first person to sort of cast me as, as a lead role in college when I, when I was getting the sense that I was sort of like, a background actor or a character actor. I was like the, su- the fun- supportive, funny friend or because of my body, I would often get cast as like, you know, old women, you know, older women or, or you know, mothers. And I was 20 years old, you know? So it's, um, and that's how it functions. You know, that's how it works in college. It's, it's, there sometimes aren't a lot of different avenues to explore what your style is um and his his uh, his seeing me um helped me to see myself in those positions and it helped me to realize that I had something special and I always kind of knew that I was good at it I was a good performer um and that 
launched me into my um, my pursuit of performing arts in New York City. Um, when I moved here, I was I was very like driven to just like <laughs> go audition for Broadway shows. Yeah, I didn't really even know what it looked like, but I just was sort of taking a gamble and. I realized quickly that I couldn't afford to pursue my goals. I couldn't afford to like pay for classes. I couldn't afford to pay for my own learning, continued learning. So I became a teacher. I, I, um, I applied for and was accepted to an alternate certification teaching program called the New York city teaching fellows. Um, I come from a family of educators and have always kind of been a little teacher um, all my life through them. And so I jumped into a, a, a career of in public education and I was finally able to afford the things that I wanted, you know, I wanted to continue to learn. And, and so I started taking classes in improv and sketch comedy and, and started collaborating with a bunch of different people and, and, you know, making web series and direct trying directing and trying coaching and, and, um, writing for myself and writing my own solo shows and, you know, just really like having a good time with it and it, doing all of the things, doing all of the projects independently and um, funding them independently. And sort of, those are my foundations. Um, and they all came to serve me in the end, honestly. I, I will say um, <clears throat> I was, uh, really impressed on uh, your podcast, uh, especially on the first episode. Uh, a lot of us, myself included, when we first start doing these things, you know, we're still trying to find our voice. We're trying to figure out how this this kind of works and how we sound. And I have a bit of a theater background myself, uh, but still, you know, you just came out 100 miles an hour on that podcast, and the confidence was there. And I was, I was kind of, I stepped back because I was really impressed with your voice and your presence in that space there. And so, oh, thank you. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, yeah, clearly you've, you've had um, a, a lot of uh, training and background uh, prior to the podcast experience. Yeah, for sure. For sure. The podcast was sort of a new, uh, a new way of expressing myself. I feel like I've tried a lot of different ways of expressing myself, you know, and that's really in my experience, that's what the performing arts is all about figuring out different ways of expressing yourself through performance mm -hmm. and podcasting was just one of those ways. So, uh, how, how was your transition from, uh, New York to, to Los Angeles then? It was, well, I, um, I made a really, uh, strategic plan to make the transition because when I, when I moved in 2016, I was already 35 years old. Um, and I had been teaching for 10 years. So I, I was, I, I, you know, for an entire year before I moved, I've saved money and I made an exit strategy and sort of, you know, mapped out my move. Um, and I just went, I just went, I went, and, you know, I had some friends that had moved to LA from New York. And so I, I met up with them when I got here and it was, um, it was a struggle once I was there, you know, like once I was in LA, 
it was um i i had sort of quit my job well i had a job when i first moved and so it was it was sustaining me but then i eventually i quit that job because i just needed to focus entirely on trying to figure out how to be a tv writer and i really like i have every other like creative pursuit i I I figured out I like DIY'd it, you know. I like figured it. I like Googled how do you write a pilot, <laughs> and learned that you know to get in to a writer's room, you need to have writing samples. You need to be able to write a script, and um, so I needed I needed to teach myself like how do you format a script, and how long does it need to be, and where is the narrative arc happening throughout the script, and sort of did a little bit of research and um, I wrote a few samples and then I was trying to like apply to a bunch of diversity programs. Like, you know, a lot of the major studios have these diversity programs um, or fellowships that, you know, if you're accepted with your script, you get to experience a writer's room and, you know, it's, it's a really good way to sort of um, get connected to the industry but I wasn't getting into anything. I don't know if my scripts were bad or whatever, but <laughs> I'll say one thing is that all of my scripts were centered around a native woman protagonist. Um, and I started to, in, after so many rejections, like two years worth of rejections, I started to internalize the idea that perhaps the industry didn't want a story about a native woman protagonist you know it was like it was baffling but it was sort of just this realization like wow I really might not break through this systemic barrier I can't Mm. believe it Mm. you know I feel like I have done so much so much like overcoming (laughs) systemic barriers in my life and it sort of became part of like the rush of of this work is like I don't give a shit I'm gonna get it I'm gonna get what I want I'm very tenacious like that yeah yeah. but this one seemed very very overwhelming and um yeah it wasn't until I met Sierra Teller Ornelas I had her as a guest on my podcast um and she on on that episode we talked about Rutherford Falls she was developing Rutherford Falls and she was getting ready to staff her writer's room um and I was just in the podcast amazed to be talking to a native tv writer a a woman you know and being like oh my god this is I finally get to meet her like she's the one you know the one native woman in comedy rooms you know Mm -hmm. she had been on happy endings and brooklyn 99 and i was just like god tell me everything you know um (laughs) and then when we wrapped you know we we cut the mics and and we're about she was about to leave my apartment she was like do you have any writing samples (laughs) and i was like well yes i do (laughs) (laughs) and that's really sort of how that went um it was very turbulent also even before being staffed in her room, because, you know, it was sort of like, will, will I, won't I make it, you know, against all of these other native TV writers who had also been doing, you know, their own grind in their own way. Um, it was, there was, there were times when I was like, I don't think they're going to staff me. And, 
that's okay. I just got to accept it. Um, <laughs> but they ended up staffing me. Thank God. Yeah. Changed my, the course of my life forever. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, uh, I think this brings us to our next question is how, um, both have, how have you sought opportunities and how have they presented themselves to you over the years? Opportunities have rarely presented themselves to me. I have made opportunities for myself. I have created them. And I think that's a part of being a woman in this, in the performing arts. Part of being a, um, honestly, part of just being an oppressed person is you have to sort of pave your own path. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do that by understanding my craft and understanding how it works to create a show or put one up, you know, my, my training in life in theater was so helpful to me. Um, just being able to know like, okay, if I want to do a solo production, um, I need to start with the script. I need to write the script and have somebody read it and go through that process. I need to, um, I need to rehearse. I need to get a space to rehearse in. I need to, um, I need to find a performance venue. I need to figure out how much it costs to put my show up in a performance venue. Then I need to work with the tech person to figure out the lighting and the sound cues. And I need to work on the advertising for a performance. You know, all of these things that come into putting on a, a performance, as small a production as it is, you know, it counts because that's how the industry works, you know, ultimately. Mm-hmm. All of these same things apply in in a in a bigger venue with a bigger budget. It's the same. It's the same sort of method. So knowing that, knowing how to do it, and having practice in how to do it is made all the difference for me. Then I was like, "Well, nobody can stop me. I'll put up a show in Central Park. I don't give a shit. Like, I'll I'll figure it out. Like, I will." I will perform. Um, and I, I was lucky enough in New York to have sort of a home theater that let me put up a lot of um, shows, sketch shows and improv shows and, and um, solo shows. It's called the Magnet Theater. I really owe a lot of my, um, I owe my, a lot of my comedy um, sort of, opportunities and access to the magnet Um, because they let me, they let me sort of thrive and fail there. And I had a relationship with the the artistic directors and had a relationship with the theater owner. And so I sort of had a venue, but you know, when I was a little kid, my sister and I just used to pick up the video camera, my grandpa's v- giant VHS like camera that sits on your shoulder, you know, mm-hmm. and we would make like parody commercials and stupid stuff that was just goofy, you know. So like, I, I mean, it doesn't matter like the scale of the project. Like I was just always doing something, you know, always trying to make comedy in some way or another. Um, 
and I used whatever was I had access to. So, uh, you know, that sort of brings us to the the last question is, um, what would you want to say to the 18 or 22 year old uh, listening to this conversation? God, there's so many things I want to say to an 18 to 22 year old. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess I don't want to be prescriptive because there, my advice doesn't apply to a lot of people, but I will say if you are a person who is learning or seeking to work in a creative industry. And I'm honestly, whatever you want to do, be tenacious. Like, don't be afraid of your ambition. It will carry you. Just like want it. Want it really hard and don't be afraid to want things. We can do whatever we want. Um, Use whatever you have in your toolbox, you know, practice and practice and practice and do it for joy and do it because you love it. And, and don't be afraid of failure. I think that was a big thing that I learned in my early, early years was failure is learn to love failure. (laughs) It is, it is golden. It's, It's precious. Failure is like a necessary part of success. You cannot have um, achievement without failure. It, it happens to everybody and we should not fear it. We should hold it close to ourselves. Failure can be very funny. Um, and it's a part of growth. So if you want to get better at what you are doing, you have to be ready to fail a lot. I think that's great. Um, I think the best lessons out there come from failure. You know, the, the biggest yeah. lessons. Um, right now, um, I'm involved in two summer programs. One's the Oscar Hausman Art Institute at USD. And we're doing another one here in uh, Fargo and Wapiton uh, called the Northern Plains of Art Institute. And what we, what we do is we bring in all these uh, high school Native American youth. They come in, they learn art fundamentals, they're doing printmaking, they're doing painting. And I see a lot of them. I mean, they're right at the beginning of their careers, right? And mm-hmm. you know, I've I've been involved in this program for almost thirty years now, and as a student and as a staff person, and a lot of them eventually become leaders in the art field. You know, it's amazing to see where they're at in their growth. But you know, the group right now is with every group every year. They're in that beginning stages, and they're really struggling with learning these lessons and concepts that they can only mm-hmm. really get if they keep coming back to it and they keep learning. Mm-hmm. But I just kind of want to give a shout out to all those kids listening, because they're all going to be listening to this. Um, and I think what you just said is so perfect, you know. Um, yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah, I'm so, I'm so like, I look at any Native youth and any Native people who are, we are such a creative people. Like we are, we have figured out how to continue to make our traditional art and new art. And we are so inventive. Like we just are the most inventive people (laughs) that exist, I believe. And I just, I have nothing but like limitless faith in our ability to just blow audiences' minds in every artistic venue. And yeah, it's, it's, 
I get, I garner so much inspiration from younger people who are coming up in the creative arts because it's just um, the hurdles that we have to sort of get through to get to the place we want to be, mm-hmm. um, it, wh- wherever that may be. Like, they are great and we acknowledge them and, um, and we're not afraid of them. That's great. Uh, so where, where can our listener, uh, find your work? Obviously you are doing, uh, some really huge things right now and, uh, where, where can, where can our listener, uh, check that out? Well, you can find me on Peacock on the TV show, Rutherford Falls. I play Regan Wells. Um, I also um, have a bit of an expanded character this next season on Reservation Dogs, which is on FX on Hulu. I play Bev, the uh, bitchy receptionist. (laughs) 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 The GIHS receptionist. You know her. Um, (laughs) And if you are interested in uh, sort of... um, fat justice and body justice um and that's something that you're drawn to you can listen to my podcast called woman of size on anywhere where you can listen to podcasts we'll put a link in our show notes for that um i absolutely love it uh your character uh reagan um is so i'm 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 a curator of exhibitions at the museum up here um (laughs) this this podcast is extra duty for me um I have never related to a character as much as Reagan. Uh, when I was watching it last summer, I was with my wife and I was like, that's me. The frustrations, you know, the, the, the person that is supposed to be speaking up things get set aside because, you know, someone's going to speak for them. Uh, you're even young native collaborators just kind of blow you off. Cause you know, you're, you're this, <laughs> this other person. I feel that character. So thank you yes. for being the TV version of myself. <laughs> Yes. Shout out to all all the betas out there. <laughs> oh, I just got called a beta on my own podcast. <laughs> I am a beta too. It's a part of me. She is a part of me. So like rise let let us rise up. I will say that, you know, this next season, Regan is um sort of stepping into her power as a um museum owner and it is clumsy. <laughs> my wife is dying right now who is a physician she's a captain yeah she's the alpha uh she's gonna be dying when she hears this (laughs) yes jenna thank you so much for being here this this was great i can't thank you enough for this absolutely it's a pleasure to talk to you today thank you thank you And that does it for this episode of Five Plain Questions. I want to thank Jenna again for her time sharing her story with us. I deeply appreciated the stories that she shared with us on this episode. Because I think oftentimes when we see people on TV and in films, you know, sort of at the, the new heights of their success, people sometimes think, oh, well, they came out of the gate uh, this successful. And they don't see all the hard work and the years of struggle that they got to to this point and don't appreciate that. And I really appreciated how Jenna mentioned that in the absence of opportunity, she created it herself. She educated herself on the things that she needed to know to get where she is. And I think that really applies to um, 
to, I think, myself and to you listeners out there that, you know, we come from uh, places, you know, like the reservation, places of economic hardships where those opportunities aren't available to us that are available to our non-Native peers. And so having tenacity and having um, that work ethic to just show up and do the work and believing in yourselves until something clicks, I think that's 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 a really great perspective, and I really appreciate um, her sharing that with us. It definitely inspires me to keep going forward with the things that I'm working on. And uh, yeah, so hopefully you have that same feeling as well. So, Jenna, thank you so much for that. Before I go, of course, three things with her. Woman of Size podcast. It is a great podcast, really great stories. It's hilarious, but meaningful conversations. So subscribe to that podcast wherever you get podcasts. And of course, Rutherford Falls on the Peacock Network. Um, it comes out this week, season two. Uh, it is it is a fantastic series. It's her and Ed Helms and just a whole ensemble of casts. Uh, and as well as um, Reservation Docs. Uh, she's the IHS receptionist. Uh, she's hilarious. That whole crew is amazing. And that comes out this August. So there is a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of great things that are coming and they're happening for her and I can't be more happy for her. So uh, congratulations and I wish you nothing but success, Jenna. And I, I, I can't wait to, to talk to you next time. I also want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. So please join us next week as we speak with another incredible person. I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on Canna, that's C-A-N-A-A, Creativity Among Native American Artists on Facebook, on social media, and at the plainsart.org website. There you can see programming, past videos, and podcasts. And if you have a suggestion for someone for me to talk to, uh, please uh, message me on Facebook. I'd really like to hear from you. Well, that's it, and we will see you next time. This has been an 11 Warrior Arts production.